Hi everyone, it's John. And Ben. And welcome back to Santa by the Minute, the podcast where Ben and I talk about 1985's Santa Claus the Movie. One minute at a time. And Ben, it's the most exciting stretch of the movie. Everybody's been on the edge of their seats saying, Ben and John, when are you going to talk about the end credits? Well, you've now talked about it that, is time. You've, you've <laughs> talked about that movie part. But now let's get into the good stuff. Yes, the credits. I, I kind of think probably a percentage of our listenership may have bailed. You know, like, ah, it's just the credits. <laughs> Probably. We're gonna try to make it. We're gonna try to make it interesting, guys. At least stuff is happening on screen as the credits are rolling. That's true. It isn't just words. There's some stuff going on, and it's only four minutes. It's not like a Marvel movie or a modern Star Wars movie where the end credits are about fifteen to twenty minutes long. That is true. Before we get into minute number one hundred and five, this. Uh, episode that you're listening to we're recording it just a couple of days after the santa clauses is on disney plus to follow up to tim allen's santa claus with an e trilogy of films Mm -hmm. and right away almost within the first five minutes or so of the first episode ben noticed (laughs) that santa and his sleigh okay i'll let you take it from here i'm doing the build-up okay they do what appears to be a super duper looper so that Santa can catch a donut in his mouth that is almost, almost as important as catching Joe and Patch in a sleigh. Almost. I mean, I mean, it does track because in Santa Claus, the movie, that Santa was doing it for his own amusement. Right. He didn't try to catch a donut in his mouth, though. That, that was something that <laughs> Scott Calvin has obviously brought to the table. Well, clearly, if we're going to follow along with the Scott Calvin Santa being after our Santa, then yes. clearly the reindeer are fully, uh, fully apt to do the super duper looper on command now that they've done it once. So... I've had a unified Santa, you know, theory before we even started this podcast, because I remember at the time the Pixar theory was a thing Mm -hmm. where people would theorize how all the Pixar movies are connected. And as a goof, I tried to connect all the Santa movies, or at least the three big ones that we would tend to watch year to year, which would be this one, Ernest Saves Christmas, and the Tim Allen trilogy. Mm -hmm. And I did it pretty good. You did. And... This can still fit into it so far. Yeah. Because the, even though Santa and Mrs. Claus change out, mm-hmm. the reindeer must stay the same because they must remember how to do the super duper looper. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever said it on mic, but just for record, before we get into the end credits, how those you're probably wondering how those three movies <laughs> connect to each other in my head. <laughs> I know we've hinted at it many a time, but this seems like as good a time of any to get it out, yeah, out you- into the universe you might as well refresh the memories or officially link them together in your head go for it so here 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 is how those three films that seem at first glance totally different except for involving santa claus uh fit together at least in my head okay so santa claus the movie is the origin of the santa this is what i call santa prime he's the very first santa david huddleston and he did that Santa obviously did it from the beginning to the mid-80s. Then 
you know, maybe Anya said, you know, Claus, maybe it's time. He realized that the prophecy magic didn't affect Joe. Joe was still going to age like a normal human. So he had to let Joe be free, and Joe kind of forgot. This is in my head. This isn't canon. But Joe forgot the North Pole and all the adventures with Santa as he got older, much like everybody, as they do when they grow up. Mm-hmm. That leads us into Ernest Saves Christmas, where a now single and much you know more frail-looking Claus is in Orlando, Florida, and meets up with <laughs> Ernest P. Worrell <laughs> to try to find his successor. And Ben, do you remember the name of the person that Ernest Saves Christmas Santa was trying to track down in Florida? Joe. Joe Carruthers. <laughs> yes. Who <laughs> has now gone into an acting career. So at the end of that movie, Santa Prime, thats I still think that Santa Prime mm-hmm. has passed the torch on to Joe. The same Joe that he met as a child but has now aged because prophecy magic didn't apply to him yet. It does now, along with the various clauses that Santa Prime must have put into motion (laughs) in the meantime. And that means, I know this is kind of morbid, but that unfortunately means just a couple Christmases after Joe got on the job, he's the one who fell off Scott Calvin's roof. So there we go. That is how they're all connected, or at least those three. Okay, but hear hear me out, hear me out, hear me out, okay? We don't really technically know if the Joe Santa that fell off from Scott Calvin's roof died. Right? I think that's what this show is going to be. It's implied, but it doesn't mean that he actually died. It could be that when... He, when Scott Calvin put on the jacket, he disappeared, right? Or is it before? I remember his mitten sticking up from the snowbank, like waving bye-bye before it kind of disintegrated. He could have just teleported using Santa magic. It could have been his last thing where he teleported maybe back to Orlando and he's just living out the rest of his life there. He kind of gave it a try and was like, you know, this isn't for me. <laughs> and, like, I'm going to fake my my death falling off the Well, maybe, the roof I mean, maybe this, he was this hurt. grumpy guy. <laughs> or maybe he dies as Santa, but he doesn't die as a person. I do think the new Disney Plus series is going to address some of this. I've already mm-hmm. been kind of making reference to all the things podcasters and YouTubers have been kind of joking about for decades. But it's like, now we're doing it. He has the option, right? I don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't watched the two episodes of the clauses that have been out by now. But they have the option. So maybe that's how he retired. He's like, next accident I have, I'm retiring. That's it. I'm done. I'm out. I don't have the years in front of me, but I want to say Ernest was 1989. And then yeah. like two years later was Tim <laughs> Allen. So Joe what Joe gave up pretty quick. <laughs> if this is what we're going off of. Like I thought this would be cool, but no, this isn't and I gotta get a wife. I was like, ah, this is a lot of a lot of uh, stipulations here. I'm out. <laughs> That's funny. I don't wanna get married. <laughs> I'm sure 
I'm sure the cl- the Santa Clauses are going to be coming up multiple times throughout the credits of this movie. Yeah. Just because be- that's what we're watching in the real time as right. uh, we're prepping these podcasts. And we couldn't really talk about it before. I mean, the credits kind of are a little bit more open to talk about other things, you know. Okay, so are we ready to talk about minute 105? The minute begins with the the same credit that we left off with last week we hinted that we were going to talk more about these two fellows the the big two here it says an alexander and Ilya salkine production of course the famous or infamous father and son duo so ben i hinted at it last week are you ready and i haven't talked to you about it are you ready for the fall of the sulkin film empire yes i'm ready to hear all about it i i know nothing you haven't told me anything I haven't researched on my own, so go ahead, fill us so all th- in. So this is going to be a very abbreviated uh, version. I do feel like eventually, I feel somebody's going to have to do like a six-part documentary on these two. Okay, so a lot of what I'm about to read to you comes from a book called Superman vs. Hollywood, how fiendish producers, devious directors and Warring Writers Grounded in American Icon. This was by Jake Rosen. So the Salkins play into this quite a bit, and it briefly touches upon the aftermath of the Superman movies. So basically, let's go back to a time when superhero movies were not a thing. The far-off year of 1973, where even DC Comics and Warner Brothers didn't care, like, whatever. Like, you, you crazy people want to make a Superman movie. We don't. And they sold, Warner Brothers sold the Sulkins, the film and television rights, to Superman for 25 years for five, no, four million dollars. And they only had to pay one million dollars up front. Wow. That, that, that's quite a steal. Yeah, it so, is. So, Alexander and Ilya dive right in. It was a little rocky getting it off the ground, but the first two Superman movies were massive blockbusters. Put them on the map. Then they did Superman 3 and Supergirl, and both of those kind of underperformed, and they the Sulkins were like, well, maybe people are getting sick of Superman. After those two films underperformed, the Sulkins basically sub-licensed the film rights to Superman to a company called Canon Films. And Canon Films paid the Sulkins $5 million. And that's then they went off and made Superman 4. So the Sulkins have kind of washed their hands of Superman at this point. They, they still collected some money and let some other company do the film. And that's when they went on to make this movie, the one that we just talked about for the past two years, Santa Claus the Movie. And to their credit... The Sulkins got this out. I can't find any horror stories from behind the scenes. I think every other movie they made was just a like a big fiasco of borrowing money, not paying people, lawsuits. But I can't find anything related to this movie. I kind of feel this is this is just me thinking. I think there was such a steady stream of income from various licensing deals and film distribution deals to keep the train going. Mm-hmm. And they finish this movie without incident, even though you kind of have a feeling that maybe Lithgow is, if you're reading between the lines of what Lithgow says once in a while, yeah, like maybe it wasn't all rosy behind the scenes. Yeah, I mean, I have nothing to substantiate this, but I, I think that 
probably there must have been something. Maybe they signed NDAs or something along the way where they're not allowed to talk about some stuff behind the scenes that happened. But the way John Lithgow talks about the Salkins, uh, it doesn't sound like things went smoothly. So I'm wondering if maybe there were some uh, some financial issues that maybe just were not allowed to be talked about due to other contract things, you know? Maybe they've learned, they learned during previous things that they need to keep these things under wraps if they want to not have all of that associated with them. I don't know, though. This is pure speculation. <laughs> So I'm going to be quoting a few paragraphs from the Superman book. It says, Since 1984, the Sulkin Empire had suffered substantially from the absence of its staple hero, Superman. Devoid of any mass market templates to work from, Ilya and his father had managed to assemble only one complete project, 1985's Santa Claus the movie. The production... <laughs> that's how I'm going to say it from now on. <laughs> Even without thinking, that's how I say it. <laughs> Let's watch 1985's Santa Claus the Movie in its entirety. <laughs> anyway, I got, got sidetracked. So Ilya and his father had managed to assemble only one complete project, 1985 Santa Claus the Movie. The production re revealed an increasing gulf of opinion between the two filmmakers, stemming from what Ilya perceived as a generational gap. This is Ilya talking. He got tougher with age, Ilya recalled. We didn't see eye to eye. We disagreed on things. After Santa Claus, we really separated. So I do wonder if there was some creative differences between father and son during the production of this movie. So in between this, they didn't get any movies off the ground. This is 1985. In between that and their last movie, which was 93, which we'll get to in just a minute, father and son hadn't really talked to each other very frequently or at all. Then Ilya gets a phone call from Alexander Alexander, people surrounding him have noticed the success of Star Trek The Next Generation and syndicated television shows, original first-run syndication around that time, and reminded him, like, you only sub-licensed the film rights. You still have the television rights to Superman. So they get the Superboy, not Smallville, but there was a syndicated show called Superboy, that ran for four seasons. It began with an idea spawned from the legend of Superman. Another generation will be fascinated with the adventures of a boy from Krypton as he gains the wisdom to use his superpowers for good and against evil. Salkine's first TV series ever is the story about the Man of Steel before he became the number one citizen of Metropolis. First run, first rate 35 millimeter action. Superboy, coming this fall only on Channel 21. It was filmed in Orlando at the Disney MGM Studios for the first season, and then they moved it to uh, Universal Studios down the road for the last three. And it was uh, pretty successful. And that brings us to 1989. Tim Burton's Batman comes out, and Warner Brothers is like, why don't we have, our, why don't we have the film rights to Superman anymore? Why don't we do our own Superman TV show? So they made life a little harder for the Sulkins, like being slow to approve scripts or certain characters could appear in the show and whatnot. There was a big lawsuit between the Sulkins and Warners. In the end, 
the ownership of the Superboy TV show got split three ways between Viacom, who was the TV distributor, the Sulkins, and Warner Brothers. So that was a big mess, and ultimately Warner Brothers got their TV rights back, and that became Lois and Clark later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that leads us to the last film the Sulkins teamed up to do for 1992. You have no idea what I'm going to bring up. It was going to be another big budget. We're going to put everything into it. We're going to get some big stars. It was 1992's Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. In a time when the leaders of the church were as powerful as gods. You are presuming to defy the judgment of the Holy Father. He seduced a queen. You have a way with women, and as God has given me my dream, I intend to give you yours and commanded a crew of murderers and thieves. How does a pilot convict get the rest of his money on the most dangerous journey ever undertaken? I suspect that he will never return. spectacle of the discovery Alexander Salkind presents Marlon Brando Tom Selleck George Corafas Rachel Ward the most exciting part of the adventure is the tale that has never been told Christopher Columbus the discovery directed by John Glenn an Alexander and Elias Salkind production. To commemorate the 500th anniversary of Columbus landing in America. Interesting. Well, <laughs> Interesting. Um, Which I have not seen, but I'm sure it's not problematic at all. And, <laughs> well. And, and the production of that movie was a huge... Uh, I guess we're near the tail end. Can I say shit show on this podcast? <laughs> sure. <laughs> they built full-size Nina uh, Pinta Santa Maria boats. They got Marlon Brando. They got Tom Selleck. It was quite the thing. I, I have never seen this movie before, by the way. <laughs> Interesting. And it gets a little sticky. I'm going out of the Superman book now to this LA Times article from the following year. Let's just say this movie tanked. <laughs> I'm sure it did. <laughs> old, old Chris Columbus wasn't as marketable as Santa. <laughs> it's definitely a what were they thinking situation. It was like, okay, Santa you can at least sell all over the world. It's like, right. but in this case, it's like, okay, going to be make or break it with Columbus in America, and that's it. <laughs> of all people and, and, to pick. And, and yeah, and even then... Uh, <laughs> Apparently, according to IMDb, take it with a grain of salt, but apparently even Brando was saying, uh, you know, pointing out the problematic elements. Mm-hmm. And the creative differences were, like, Brando was saying, uh, you should bring up the whole uh, issues with the Native Americans, and Ilya approved these rewrites, but Alexander vetoed them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So apparently that's not addressed at all in the movie. 
And there are lawsuits about people not being paid. Brando demanded his money up front. Smart. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So here's an L.A. Times article from November 24th, 1993. This is the headline, if you want to know where this is going. Uh A family feud in the wake of Columbus. (laughs) Ilya Salkine has sued Alexander, his father, and producing partner for breach of contract, fraud, and racketeering. Wow. I could not even imagine suing my father. Ilya was 46 at this time. Alexander was 72. He sued him for breach of contract, fraud, and racketeering over the $40 million picture that sunk at the box office. The $10 million lawsuit was filed in Los Angeles court Tuesday. The Tuesday this article was written, obviously. And this is uh, Alexander taking it uh, not so well here. My 52 years of filmmaking must end like this, said a distressed Alexander Sulkin from his Paris hotel room. My son and his girlfriend, Jane Chaplin, are harassing me all the time, sending me sending this terrible letter all around the world to all my friends, banks, and business relationships, accusing me of scandalous things. Everything I have built up over the years they are trying to destroy. I produced with my father, Michael, for years, and we had disagreements, but it never came to this. This is all very surprising, very upsetting to see my son come after his father. This all has to do with that woman, Jane. Are you wondering who Jane is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on the edge of your seat now. I, I am. <laughs> so Jane was his uh, Ilya's third wife, Jane Chaplin, daughter of Charlie Chaplin, the silent era comedian. Mm-hmm. And Jane reportedly loaned Alexander... $6.75 million to bankroll the Columbus movie. Oh, my and, gosh. And then Alexander refused to pay her back. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> that woman, how dare she ask for her money back? Chaplin is a co-plaintiff, was a co-plaintiff in the suit against the elder Sulkin and 35 others. Oh my god. A third plaintiff is Robert Simmons, 52, the film's production manager, claiming 1.52 million in back wages due. Wow. The three say they are owed a combined 10 million 10 million dollars in production fees, salaries, loans, and interest. Uh yeah, it got very sticky. This is the last paragraph, last quote from old Alexander here in the end of the article. I'll probably never see my son or my four grandchildren again. And I know after this, I will never make movies again. And he didn't. In the fallout, obviously everything went bankrupt, bust. The company that is now known as Studio Canal bought up everything in the Sulkin Film Library, including this, including Santa Claus the movie. Warner Brothers got full access, full rights back to all the Superman stuff. And a film empire came to an end. So did they rule in the favor of Ilya and the other ones? I guess I'll have to look around for it a bit more. I cannot find any articles offhand about how it ruled or if it was settled out of court. Mm-hmm. But let, but one thing's for sure, yeah, it was it was not pretty. <laughs> See what I mean when I was saying, like, I hope somebody really picks this up and does, like, a whole in-depth <laughs> series about this family. Yeah. That would be quite the movie. <laughs> I am just scratching the surface. I apologize if I got anything wrong. 
<laughs> just going by that LA Times article and what was written in this Superman book. <laughs> so anyway, moving on from that, half mm-hmm. hour into our podcast, let's see, we have produced by Ilya Salkine and uh, Pierre Spengler. We talked about them a little earlier. They even had a cameo during that scene when they walked by the display of TVs during mm-hmm. the Patch Natch sequence. Story by David and Leslie Newman, who we talked about quite a while ago. They were the husband and wife screenwriting team, also did the Superman movies. Screenplay by David Newman. And then we get into the cast. We have Santa, played by David Huddleston. So he's top billed here on the end credits. He may not have been on all the posters or the video case or anything, but he did get top billing in the credits. Mm -hmm. And dressed up in the full Santa attire. Yeah. They were really committed to the story that David Huddleston was just playing Claus. Mm -hmm. And Santa Claus was being played by himself. We have a press kit that actually says that. It's like, David Huddleston as Claus, the kindly woodcarver. Santa Claus as himself. Yeah, yeah, it is very surprising that he's not in his Claus outfit as opposed to his Santa outfit. I wonder if that was a mistake. I don't know. I have to imagine discussions were had. Yeah. Maybe they got around it because it doesn't flat out say David Huddleston as Santa Claus. True, true. So there's still some deniability there if any kids were like, hey, wait a second. Yeah. So next up, we got John Lithgow. Mm-hmm. He's chomping a cigar. He's in his study in his big leather chair. This is a scene that was not in the movie. He's going through a big, long list. He's super happy. And you can see the bottom of the poster for Christmas 2. Yes. Longtime listeners will know that we figured out where this must have gone originally. They must have originally filmed it, then redid it, mm-hmm. rewrote it. Because this would have been where Towser came over at three in the morning yep. and woke him up. And he was like all groggy coming yeah. to the water to Towser. Yeah, originally this would have been going on, not him being asleep. The big list he's going through so happily is the list of orders for Christmas 2 candy canes. Yes. Next up, surprisingly enough, is Burgess Meredith. Remember him? <laughs> Remember when we talked about the ancient one? He the was ancient in that two minutes of this movie. <laughs> yep. When, but... when he bestows the powers of Santa Claus onto Claus. Mm-hmm. But he was still a big name, so yeah. he was a big get. I'm still surprised he was before Dudley Moore. Dudley's the last one credited. So Yeah, which is weird. Judy Cornwall is next. The way her eyeline is in this clip, it looks like she's very happy to see her name. <laughs> her eyes like light up when like she realizes it's like, oh, that's me. That's me. <laughs> and next up, we have an alternate take. <laughs> Maybe my favorite bit of the minute uh, uh, from when Patch was taking off in the Patchmobile on that first Christmas yep. of Towser, Jeffrey Kramer, just losing his mind. Mm-hmm. I want you to. I want you to make a gif out of this so we can post. <laughs> so, like the the car hasn't even taken off yet, because the skyline is behind Jeffrey Kramer in this shot. So he's super excited about the Patchmobile, and the Patchmobile hasn't even flown yet. Imagine how excited he must have been once he saw that in the air. I mean, he loved this thing, you know? I know. Just look at him. I, like I said, I want, I want this as a reaction 
reaction gif that you can put on Twitter or something. This this may be a hot take since he was arrested and he was like BZ's right hand man, but I think Towser would have been a wonderful addition to uh, the Elf Village. You think so? I think so because I don't think he's a bad a bad person. I think he just kind of got wrapped up with, with the people. wrong company. You know, like he just kind of got wrapped up with BZ. And I think that if he had the positive influence of Santa Claus and the elves, I bet he would probably be a pretty good uh, person in the North Pole with them. I never thought about that, but maybe we can incorporate that into one of our sequel ideas yeah, that maybe. we were kicking around. I don't know when we're going to incorporate it, but it's not going to be in this minute. We're already going long. No. We started that, so it's like, gee, are we going to have enough to talk about during these credits? We should know by now. So the kids get combined onto one one end credit card. Yes. So we have uh, Christian, Fitzpatrick, Joe on the top. On the bottom, we have Carrie K. Heim on the bottom. Maybe, maybe it was an alphabetical order by last name. That's how they decided to bill the kids. Maybe. 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 All right, so I'm trying I'm looking at these clips. Yes. Joe Joe is in like kind of awe or confusion. I um I think And they're in like little they're in like little little balls. I I <laughs> little circles. Little circles. Do you know what minutes they come from? I think Joe is in the middle of saying, you know, when um Santa asks him if he knows who Cornelia is. And he goes, yes, actually. I, I don't know. I think I think the ugly spider web tree is behind him. Right. No, maybe that could be Santa's sack. Oh, he did say that in the house, right? In yeah. The house? Yeah. Okay. Because Santa's like, oh, you know each other? And he's like, yes, actually. You know, I think that's when that's happening. And then I think Cornelia's one is when she says, excellent. You are good. You are good. <laughs> okay, moving along. Credits continue. And last but not least, here's our boy, Dudley Moore as Patch. Yeah. The only credit, this is like the most important one, I think, because you know when a sitcom <laughs> at the end of the yeah. theme song would go, and so-and-so as... Yep. Wacky neighbor or crazy grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know when this this one is happening, though. Yeah, it's just like uh, very happy Dudley Moore. Two people are having a conversation that he's laughing at. But other than that, I don't know what it is. He doesn't have his hat on, though. So it's later on. Oh, actually, I wonder. Sorry. I wonder oh, okay. if this is when um, the the Patchomatic is running, and he smiles at the toys coming out. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. He didn't wear mm -hmm. his hat very much during that part. Right, right. Anyway, that's just my my guess. I don't know. So, like I said, we're looking at the credit now for associate producer Robert Simmons. The clip in the little circle off to the left of the screen is of all the scrolls, all the letters to Santa falling down Dooley's chimney into the mailroom. Into the mailroom, yep. So let's see here. We haven't talked about Robert before that I know of. No, I don't think so. Okay, so he is also credited as associate producer on Superman 3, the Superboy TV show. He was a line producer for two episodes of that. 
co-producer of Christopher Columbus the Discovery. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> I don't I don't really know. We've been talking about a movie for the last 3 years, but what does a producer do? A lot of times just get their name on the credits <laughs> to get more money. Producers according to nyfa.edu is producers are the ones who pitch the movie to studios or their employer in the hopes of securing financing and therefore managing said finances throughout the life of the production to make sure everything is delivered on time and on budget. Even once the movie is in the can, the financing duties still aren't over. That's the first thing that came up when I go, what is a movie producer? So they're the treasurer of the movie. Producers will also come up with story ideas and hire writers, secure the rights of the script etc etc i thought the director did a lot of that i think the director just uh direct (laughs) how were movies made (laughs) i know how movies are made i just don't understand all of the titles that everything that they all are next up we have music by henry mancini and he's a his credit is accompanied by a very appropriate clip of the elf band from Season's Greetings or Making yep. Toys? What do you think? Season's Greetings? It's, um, well, no, it's the Making Toys right before the Season's Greeting. Right be- right after this is when everything goes quiet and they have Season's Greeting. So at least three of the elves here are just generic elves that we don't <laughs> know the names of. But we also have Boog and Vout. And I don't know, is that Goobler on the accordion? maybe it's very hard to see because half of his head is chopped off the (laughs) the black the black kind of goes into his head yeah and uh there are quite a few older bearded (laughs) glass yeah elves with glasses yeah no no honka i think he may have been cropped off of this i think uh, he was on the other side of the piano that you can't see next up we have credits for the following songs to henry mancini and his longtime collaborator. And I want to get his name right finally here that we're tying up all these loose ends on this podcast. <laughs> I apologize that I said his name previously as Leslie Bracusi. It's actually Leslie Breckis, who we actually lost about a year ago. At 90 years old, he passed away on October 20th, 2021. And yes. we somehow missed mentioning it, or it, I've forgotten about it i apologize either way (laughs) yeah i did not realize that happened during our podcast so off to the viewers left of the screen we can see some wooden figurines banging on drums (laughs) that is from um patch's piano that he's playing oh there's like an extreme close-up of patch's piano yeah part of it and Ben, how about you read the the uh, one, two, three, four, five songs that are credited to Mancini and Brickus? <laughs> okay, we have Every Christmas Eve, Making Toys, It's Christmas Again, Patch Natch, and Thank You Santa. Thank you, Santa. Those are the, those are the only three words of the song you can recite. Yep. Na, 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 na. <laughs> It's a good tune, but... Uh, it is. It, we, we, we've been through that before. Okay, <laughs> next up, 
Oh, next up, the next credit know. hasn't formulated on the screen. It's just like the burst. It is, but it's going to be the painting elves in the in the picture, it looks like, because I see paint yeah. cups. So yeah, we'll have to wooden, wait. The little wooden drummer figurines are in the process of cross-dissolving with, like, paint pots. Yeah. So we'll see what's coming up in minute 106. Yes. Whew. <laughs> we thought this was going to be a short one. I know. Even cutting out all the dead space when I was looking up stuff on my devices. <laughs> I I can't believe that the story of Alexander and Ilya are so crazy. Like, I wasn't expecting it to be that ex expansive, you know? I thought you probably would be able to tell me everything in, like, three minutes. <laughs> but no, it was, like, 20. <laughs> and like I said, that's just me scratching the surface. Just yeah. dipping my little teeny baby toe into the water i feel like there's a whole iceberg <laughs> that you can go down so i guess that's gonna wrap it up we still have three more minutes of end credits we are going to finish this movie before christmas we're holding ourselves to it so don't forget to come back each and every week to see if we've posted <laughs> we are gonna be done by the end of this calendar year hopefully before christmas yes we are can you think of anything else before we wrap it up? I don't think so. Send us an email if you want to talk about the Salkins. <laughs> Hopefully not sue us. <laughs> I was trying to be very diplomatic. We're just my words. we're just explaining the information we have found. Yes, I'm not I'm not throwing any accusations around. No, we don't know what happened. No. We no. were three. We don't know. <laughs> Santa by the minute at gmail.com, <laughs> all the social medias that are still standing. Um, and come back each and every Wednesday till this movie is over for a brand new episode. And as always, you can listen to any of those episodes. Hot cream!